There's a couple tactics that are particularly effective, and it relates to being more proactive so you don't wait to the just the pay 60 days before renewal. Here I am again. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go to market leaders and practitioners. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host this week, Rob Hall. Today, I am super excited to chat here with Matt Singer on the topic of building a resilient sales organization. Matt Singer is the VP of Sales and Marketing at Upland Software, which is a global SaaS company based in Austin, Texas. His team is responsible for both marketing and selling of up to nine of Upland's 30 enterprise software products. Matt works virtually from the small mountain town of Grand Lake, Colorado, and his team members scattered throughout the U.S., Canada, and the United Kingdom. Matt is nearing two and a half years with Upland and is a key part of developing uh, and executing on their overall growth strategy. Matt, really excited for today's conversation. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I really like talking about this subject matter, so I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Before diving in too much to some of the uh, the topics that we had previously discussed, would love for just like an initial introduction of more in-depth, right? Understanding that you're running sales and marketing at Upland, but really more granular than that, if you wouldn't mind helping our customers and our attendees understand what it is that you do more granularly at Upland. Yeah, be glad to. So I have a unique role. I run sales for one of our business units. In addition to marketing, I started off running the sales team for six of our products in one of four business units. A little bit of background. Upland is largely a um, company that grows via acquisition. We have our own organic growth as well, but we acquired 30 plus companies. Each time we acquire a company and a product line, we fit it into one of these four business units has some commonalities with the other products. So the business unit I'm in, we, we sell a lot of products to IT leaders, not exclusively, but several of our products kind of fit that. From a sales standpoint, my my team is uh, based in U.S., Canada. We've acquired several Canadian companies, so that's why I have some folks in Canada. We have a, a good good traction in the, the Canadian market with one of our products. Uh, folks in the U.K., um, also my marketing team spans across really globally. We acquired a company in Australia. And now we, we support APAC, UK, EMEA region, and then North America. I love it. So really full cycle ownership across quite a few business units, which I think is a unique perspective, a unique role, like you mentioned, that's you know uh, not inclusive to just one capacity. I feel like a lot of people will just have with you know a VP of sales and overleading a sales team that way, but really seeing the full go-to-market motion, which I love. What, what's great about having marketing responsibility also is any good sales team will tell you the number one thing you want is a good full pipeline. And, you know, we'd, we've had kind of ups and downs with, with the breadth of products that we have. We have some ups and downs in pipeline growth like any company. So I'd much rather have more kind of vertically integrated direct control over pipeline growth that then feeds into my sales organization. So I, it's really been a fun challenge. And I, I enjoy and embrace having that additional responsibility because it helps fuel our success in sales. Absolutely. I love it. Well, 
So with that now understood, really jumping into the subject matter for today of building a resilient sales organization, and I think it really even expands beyond just the building of the sales organization of what we were chatting about before the recorder turned on of, you know, that that formula for growth, which I think is especially top of mind for a lot of companies and the respective leaders of those organizations as we're in, you know, what some would call uncertain times right now. Would love to understand from your perspective, you know, on this topic of building the resilient sales organization and that that formula that you've more or less devised on the formula for growth in these times. Yeah. So the the recipe or the formula for for our growth: do a great job meeting the customer's requirements when you sell, implement effectively, and then earn that right to sell them more of the same product. That's that's critical. Do a good job right from the beginning. So learn, earn the right to sell them more of the same product, then expand into new buying centers. So we call that like a hunting opportunity, some new buying center. We, we want the opportunity to sell into a new buying center. We want to cross out. We want to sell additional new products since we have a broad portfolio. And then we also have new logo as well. Some of our products are, you know, outstanding at growth through new logos. So you have to have an appreciation for uh, maximizing the benefit of your existing account base. And then also, how do you focus on growing new logos in the right proportion and, and having marketing motions that can address where you intend to grow? Absolutely. And I actually really love the order that you went about it, because I think so commonly leaders are going to look at when they're thinking about growth, it's almost exclusively new logo centric, whereas you're uh, you have this massive customer base and of course an upland situation a, a pretty diverse product portfolio all to be able to sell and offer in as unique solutions and even more so i love that you started with client health right i've always had the opinion that you can't sell into an upset customer all you're going to do is pour you know gas on the flames right so really making sure that you're addressing all of those needs making sure that you have fully met expectations of what was initially sold in the organization the solution that they purchased and then again that concept of earning the right right like not just going in and expecting the opportunity to grow but really earning the right to have those conversations earning the right for that selling them more of that more solution earning the right to go into different buying centers so i absolutely love the way that you looked about it as we're thinking about the difficulties associated with those where do you feel like within the organization and some of the sales team members that you've been coaching over these last couple of years at Upland, what has been the most difficult aspect of having them be able to see that big picture of all of the different levers that they could theoretically pull for growth year over year? You know, probably the, one of the biggest is you have to be pretty analytical and break down where is your revenue coming from? So I started with make sure your customer's happy and then renew. So renewal is like the table stakes. You have to have a really strong customer success program. Renewals are critical. We have we find that there's really abundant opportunity to expand during renewal. It is a uh, an opportunity to open up the conversation about how we can help their business grow and likewise either sell a new module, sell more licenses. So dissecting our revenue trends and looking at Boy, we're getting a lot of expansion revenue when we're doing renewals. What are those people doing that the others aren't? Okay, great. Now let's move on. Are we in, truly enabling ex, uh, just more of the same expansion? So just license add-ons. Best thing you can have as a SaaS company, as a customer that's growing, happy with your product, 
hey, I need to buy 50 more licenses. I need to buy 100 more licenses. Love those kinds of expansions. But is our marketing team effectively helping, is a product team helping create promotions and incentives and spiffs to maximize what we can get from the expansion? And then another element of account-based marketing is, you know, cross-selling or selling into new buying centers is, you know, and we assign account, account executives to these customers and they need help. They don't have all the tools. They don't have all the time in the world to, to map every account and every prospect. So marketing has got to help them. Who's your ideal prospect profile along with your ideal customer profile? So account-based marketing, constantly messaging into that IPP in your ICP. I looked up IPP. I thought I was original. I thought I made that up, and it turns out it was already out there. The <laughs> Knowing who those prospects are, what are the job titles and the levels, director, VP, SVP, C-level, who are you really appropriately targeting? That's that's sort of the big picture, long-winded answer to, you know, the analytics, knowing exactly where your revenue sources are, what's working well, and then, you know, having plans for every type of revenue that you want to maximize. I love that. I'm even writing down some notes for myself here. One of the things that I feel like a lot of new sellers struggle with as we're thinking about the audience for this today's episode, I think, uh, you know, going back to your own words, earning that right, I, I completely agree that renewal timeframe, I think is probably the most common time when customers will end up purchasing additional solutions on top of the renewal itself. I think a common pitfall that I've seen of some new sellers is almost going in and expecting that growth to just happen, right? And I think after a couple of years, and especially your leadership experience, I think nothing could be really farther from the truth. And if that happens, right, those are one in a million and you should count your blessings as opposed to, you know, really going in, coming prepared with your due diligence, coming prepared with that business case. What are the, some of the ways that you're coaching up your reps to walk into those renewal conversations, to be as successful as possible, walking away with the outcome that they're trying to accomplish? There's a couple of tactics that are particularly effective and it relates to being more proactive so you don't wait to the just the hey 60 days before renewal here i am again whether it be the account executive owns the account or the customer success manager we kind of divide that responsibility so you have two mechanisms among others health check is one so we're kind of productizing a health check so you have a structured engagement where you go in and you assess how are you using the software are you maximizing capabilities? Perhaps your configuration during your initial implementation wasn't, it was worked for you back then, but now you're a different company two years later. Let us assess your configuration. Let us make recommendations on how to optimize. Are you using it? Change management? Are you training new employees? Is there coming on board to use the software? So that health check becomes, it's like, it's like the Trojan horse, you know, the way for us to get the, the full scope of how things are going with the customer and then make recommendations, some of which can be, you really ought to buy this module or you should buy more licenses of this type. So I really, really like the health check and it's, it's honestly turned some of, you know, a few customers who were getting really disgruntled because it just wasn't configured well up front and the company grew a lot. Then we did a health check and now it's like, oh my gosh, look how much value we can add and they're so much happier. So that's number one. Number two 
boy, quarterly business reviews are so valuable. It's such a great technique to stay in touch. You can you can make them quite tactical. How are you doing on service tickets, volumes, and response times, and system uptime, and whatever other, you know, maybe special requests. But when you can make it more about a touch point for for leaders as well, you know, invite some of the senior sponsors, the people who are ultimately going to be signing the paycheck. That's an opportunity where those people aren't normally involved. Are we adding value or not? I don't know. So that's your perfect time to periodically describe how much value you're adding. So QBR is such a great tactic to, you know, proactively maintain your reputation and also preemptively, you know, if that leader is like, I'm hearing some things and I'm not happy about it, he or she, you can, you know, get ahead of that stuff before renewal time. So they know, oh yeah, these guys have been really proactive, touch and face with me. Absolutely. And I think that speaks back to your prior point about being proactive about it, right? I love the fact that you're doing those on a quarterly basis because not only does it allow you to be proactive down the road as we're trying to think about just, you know, remediation of any potential problems that may be going on, but I would have to imagine the recommendations that your team is making to your customers, ideally they need to be aligned to those business outcomes, right? And I would even argue some of those recommendations may not even be growth oriented, right? Of course, that's ideal state, but how else can we maximize the current configuration? And hey, by the way, here's also some other things that we should be considering all with that backdrop of really being what are the outcomes that you, Mr. or Mrs. Customer, have told me that we're trying to accomplish and allow me to inform you of how else we can better support that either under the current configuration or with the additional offerings that Upland brings to market. Right. Absolutely. Very well paraphrased. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, I think something else that's really unique about the team that you're managing outside of the really the full go to market motion that you're talking of, you know, sales, marketing and operations is the fact that your sales team has both this customer upsell cross sell responsibility in addition to the new business responsibility. I know just speaking from personal experience, it's it's difficult to find that balance of where do I need to allocate my efforts on a week over week basis, month over month, quarter over quarter to ensure I'm successful and not dropping the ball, whether it be on you know my new logo prospecting efforts or dropping the ball and making sure my customers are happy because those will have long-term implications on my success for the year. How are you going about coaching your sales reps to identify that bigger picture and really go about proactively planning their day-to-day and week-to-week to be successful pulling both of those levers? Yeah, you, you're you absolutely right. Finding the right balance, helping, helping the sales team members make progress. I find, I find that it's about making progress over time when it comes to having assigned accounts that you're, quote, farming. It is a longer-term payoff. You're, you're going to be doing work, creating an account plan, doing research, figuring out who's who. It's, it's a, you know, something that's a necessity to grow the business long-term, but it's very much like a, you know, short-term payoff of new opportunity that sits in the door versus the long-term. Even though the long-term might be much bigger opportunities. So what I've done is essentially. Uh, I'm not the kind of like football coach just screams in your ear constantly, you know, I'm I'm more of the, like every week, put time on your calendar to work on your assigned accounts, work on your account plans, block it off. So you, you create the discipline to make that a priority. 
And I do like a lot of that personally. My to-dos almost always show up as block time on my calendar. So I stay in charge of what my priorities are. So that's what I teach my sales team members. And then I have to set regular, almost never-ending different tactical goals. So for example, my goal for my account exec team for Q4 is a mandatory four QBRs that you set up. So not an overwhelming number by any means, but I know what an avenue it is, what a door opener it can be, especially if you're new to an account, start to get familiar, start to get to know some people, they have recognition. So I put together this whole program around, okay, mandatory four QBRs. One week, I may do a challenge where we do account plan group reviews as well. So, you know, I tell people, you know, okay, for the month of whatever, August, I expect everybody to have updates on their five account plans or top five accounts on their account plans. And I look at a report and then every week I review how we doing on account plan updates and I can see the last time anybody did an update. And then during one-on-ones, we look at it, what's going on, what are some of your challenges, you know, excuses, 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 and then go back and do the work, <laughs> you know? So it's it really is like step-by-step, relentless coaching, you know? It, incentives, I haven't found to be all that great, you know? Little, little fun things are good, but it's really a lot of one-on-one group you know, inspections of account plans, and then uh, just constantly reinforcing how important it is to to do account plans and to build those assigned accounts, um, et cetera. Certainly. No, I love the the collaboration even that you're bringing together with, uh, for the, at least the sales team, it sounds like more so North American based, but also as increasingly teams are becoming more and more remote, still, you know, encouraging it and kind of baking it into the overall expectations of, you know, the account plan, like I'm only one person, despite my many years of experience leading this team and prior organizations, like, let's pull on the other reps that are being successful, or on the inverse side, let's pull in other reps that may be struggling and need to see what good looks like when we're building out this account plan, we're building out the, that method, that that process, like you mentioned, of calendarization, of baking that in just to their week over week schedule, so they never find themselves dropping the ball. And I love that you're even practicing what you preach of calendaring it out. I think that personally was one of the biggest upskills in my own personal career is just literally calendaring everything, whether it be, you know, prospecting efforts to, you know, date night with my fiance to, you know, qualitative business reviews and everything else that's in between. If it's on your calendar, it's so much harder to let it slip through the cracks because it's always going to be there right in front of you. So I absolutely love that strategy that you've employed with the team there. As we're thinking about, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to reply. I also can't help but calendar the personal life items too on the schedule. It's just one of those things. If I don't have a task list or if I don't have a schedule somewhere, I'm like, I'm going to forget. It's too busy. So (laughs) I'm with you there. You're not alone. I love it. Well, something, if, if you don't mind me going back too much, because I know you mentioned out one of those biggest pieces of that formula is really beginning with the analytics, right? Really understanding, you know, what's working and, you know, arguably what maybe is more important, what's not working, right? Where do we need to divert attention away from so we can put it on those right chips? 
you mentioned a couple of ways that it sounds like you're doing that of increasing team collaboration of identifying those you know those growth pockets across your team and i imagine bringing them in to showcase their account plan what are some other ways that you're digging in beyond just the numbers right and really tapping into your reps and really building that relationship and identifying their own strengths to be able to scale that across your team yeah we similar to my comment about how I coach to kind of drive better account growth, account planning from a rep standpoint, I don't find that there's a need for extra pressure because there's so much collaboration, communication, inspection. So I have, we, we use an internal software product called Altify and we bought the company. So it's kind of part of our operating system now, but there's a, a view when I do one-on-ones, I always bring up their list of opportunities. Every single time we go through every opportunity, where are you? Where do you need help? You know, what's going on? What are some what's some milestones? There's not a single opportunity in my entire pipeline that I probably shouldn't talk to. And in our the way we do forecasting, we do end up talking to our entire executive team, including the CEO, every week. So I'm oh, on gosh. stage everybody so i know i know my deals really really well so the reps don't necessarily really ever have to worry like you know am i following up am i barked at or whatever because we're constantly talking about the deals we we do something interesting as i mentioned we do group opportunity plan reviews we also do group deal reviews so it's this construct it's not like the new thing and you know people have been doing deal reviews with groups but we have a recipe that's kind of facilitated by Altify. But basically, the rep gets 20 minutes to present in this structured way. What's the opportunity plan? And then the group is writing down questions in the meantime. And then we review, we do the Q&A, we identify gaps and weaknesses, and then make recommendations. And so I've got people who are experts in, say, my manufacturing supply chain product who may not know really that much about my you know, professional services automation product. But that person has so much experience and insight just in this selling in general. So I basically, I don't have to be the only one developing their reps. They get to participate in these group opportunity reviews and the way it's so constructive and healthy that even the best expert seller walks out of these things with, boy, I didn't think of those eight things. That's those are things that I can grow from. And I'm going to be thinking about that the next time I do a deal. I love that. And I have to imagine that scales outside of just those meetings as people are demonstrating the fact that they're an expert in these various products or this selling process, this methodology, this tactic, right? Whatever it may be, scaling outside of just those conversations that you're facilitating, you know, into private messages, into, you know, one-on-ones, right? Informal mentorships that are aligning that way. So I think it's really built to scale successfully because you have the same amount of time as each of your reps do on the same day-to-day basis, and you have additional responsibilities on top of that. So I love that perspective. The other item that we had talked about as well before the recorder turned on that I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't chat about was this concept of hiring the right people. And the reason I think I want to, you know, as we're coming to a close of today's recording, bring it up is we've, we touched on it a few times of, you know, you're that you're not that football coach. You can't be in the ear. You can't be coming down on them. You can't, you know, yeah, you can throw out some, you know, incentives and and they work to varying degrees, but that can't be the sole motivator for these reps that are going in day in and day out and 
dedicating a good amount of time every single day to working on the team, as we're thinking about how you have built getting the right people on the bus, what are some of the traits that you've looked at or, or habits that you've examined for, whether it be in the interviewing process, pre or post interview? How have you gone about getting the right people on the bus, if you will? Yeah, it's a, you know, when we talked before, I think I probably stressed it as probably the number one, one of success criteria is having a person that fits in your culture, fits in the business model, and of course, having relevant, you know, the right depth of experience. I personally interview every single sales team member, my my other leaders on the team, we do informal interviews. And so I typically will go you know, deep on the experience. And I also like to ask questions like, what do you do in your free time? What are some of your hobbies? Uh, you know, what kind of music do you like? So, I, I mean, we talk about this stuff. We, we all have, we all relate because we have interesting hobbies and life experiences and came from different places. I have People from Trinidad, one from Trinidad and Tobago, and one from Sri Lanka, and one person from, you know, Montreal, and just it's it's cool. So we we have good diversity. Um, I hire for how relatable people are because I'm I am seeing how they're going to interact with the customers because we know relationships matter. And are, is this person going to be likable? Is it going to have something to talk about? When we actually can travel a lot, is that person going to be engaging and interesting? So those are key criteria. Then, then of course, you know, soft, selling SaaS is, you know, um, um, not a necessity. But if you sold like a recurring revenue type of thing, like I used to work in the telecom industry, it's a recurring revenue model. It happens to have a broad portfolio of products, monthly recurring revenue, like there's transferability. And then finally, we do a mock sales presentation as part of the interview process. So we tee up a product, we give them some guidelines and basically start the interview and they're hosting a sales presentation. How effectively can you structure it? Can you make it light enough? Are you nervous? Are you reading from your script? How are you handling objections? We know you're not a product expert, but you're going to be thrown weird objectives, you know, objections along the way. So we've seen really good interviews before the sales presentation, and then they fall on their face because they just flat, boring, et cetera. So I find that to be probably one of the best ways that I've done in my career of testing whether someone's going to be a capable seller. Absolutely. I love because you get the test for that almost that skill that you can't really ask about, right? You can always ask for like, hey, give me an example of a time. But like when you're putting them on their feet, how quick are they thinking? How are they reacting to, you know, a question that they weren't prepared for? They can't visit their script. They have to go into, you know, ideally whatever training they may have had previously or just, you know, who they are and how they communicate, how they face adversity, no matter, you know, how difficult of a situation that you're putting them in front of and being able to come to some sort of, you know, reasonable solution coming out of it. So I love that actually really put them on their spot. I, I see we're winding out on time here. So to close it out, we'd love to understand there's, there's three common questions that we'll ask a lot of our attendees. First and foremost, for a lot of our attendees and, and listeners, a lot of them look for other professional advice outside of the podcast. So I'm curious, is there any book, blog, uh, a newsletter, recent video that you may have watched that was really informative and really helpful that you would recommend? 
Yeah, I started to uh, listen to Reed Hoffman's latest series. He co-wrote a book, and the I think it's called The CEO of You. I probably should have verified that before I made the recommendation, but those of you out there looking, Reed Hoffman does a, a podcast or has done one for years on how to scale your business. And so, you know, I've, I've followed him all along. So that that to me was profound. The, it's it's all about how do you appreciate your skills, habits, and, and experience, and how do you maximize that? Like you're the CEO of yourself. How do you, if you're your own startup, how do you maximize your value? What's your value prop? What's your network? How do you, how do you extract value out of your network? So that one was pretty profound to me um, as one. And then I'm a big uh, like Web 3.0 guy. So on a personal note, um, I listen to Tim Ferriss, Tim Ferriss show. He's all about like how to, you know, what are the best practices and habits and tactics of world-class performers in, in any different profession or, or, you know, industry. And he has two episodes. One, there's a guy named Balaji Srinivasan and talks all about the, about Bitcoin, about Web 3.0, about the impact on civilization and society. He's written a book called The Network State. Really, really profound and interesting. And then another one with two venture capitalists, Naval Ravikant and Chris Dixon. So if anybody was ever going to question whether NFTs were valuable and going to be useful in society and not just Board Ape Yacht Yacht Club, listen to that episode and you'll be astounded by what NFTs will do to art, music in the future, and, and not to mention just decentralized finance and, and uh, you know, Web 3.0. It's pretty, it really, anybody who has even an inkling of interest, those guys are, will be like game changing on your viewpoint. I love it. Very cool. I love those. Also, for future podcast episodes, are there one or two individuals in the B2B space that you feel like you, you've you learned a lot from, whether they be internal upland or you know prior mentors? Anyone that you would recommend we bring on the show? Yeah, I I definitely, I, I looked at my, I was literally just kind of scanning through my LinkedIn network. I have one friend, former coworker, Stuart Bourne. He started his own company recently. I think his experience, he's also a U.S. Uh, or West Point graduate. So real sharp guy, hardworking guys, worked in technology, a bunch of things. And he started his own camping equipment uh, company. So tech guy, you know, into entrepreneur and, and CEO. That's that's kind of a cool story. I have a colleague, uh, Kevin Gillies, who's a, a sales, sales professional. He was at LinkedIn for a long time. Now he's at Miro. Miro, what a great story. I don't know if you've been tracking. I mean, Miro, like I read some article that the, it was valued at like 19 billion or something like that. It was just, you know, and it, it's a great suite of tools, but you know, how that company's take, you know, going into enterprise and, and that sort of thing. So there's a couple, couple of people that I come across or that I'd recommend. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate that. Coming down and closing, Matt, so appreciate the time with you, sharing some of the insights, the formulas that you've used, what you're looking for, the ways that you're coaching and developing your team and how you're approaching today's market. been an absolute pleasure here in closing. What is the easiest way for some of our listeners to get in contact with you coming out of the show? Uh, probably the best thing to do is on LinkedIn. I'm not Twitter, 
guy or I don't I don't have a ton of social media presence per se, but I, I'm on LinkedIn frequently and plenty of people find a way to contact me through uh, in-mail. So that's probably the best way to do it. Awesome. Well, Matt, again, thank you so much, man. I've really enjoyed the conversation here today and some of the prior conversations we have had. Uh, thanks so much for joining us on the Sunny Side Up. Thank you, Rob. Really enjoyed it. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demandbase TV.